previously on Drinks with Tony. This is Hugh Patterson. That, I love this story to know. And fuck out of my br- brain on every fucking drug I could fucking find in the fucking world for uh, for when you die. And then they're like, oh yeah, and they'll do it when they're with you. And the, then e- then everything just is constantly moving around. And you can only see <laughs> Hugh Patterson. Thank you so much for coming on the show, man. You're welcome. Yeah. My pleasure. Yeah. And stay tuned for episode eighteen. We have an ex Jehovah's Witness. Interviewing an ex-Jehovah's Witness, coming right up. This is Jerry Miner, and you are listening to Drinks with Tony. Get on the Drinks with Tony show! I do the intro to the show. I saw a sound professional for a second, and then we just, and then we talk. So, I just, I'm trying to get to my core, trying to breathe. All right. Welcome to Drinks with Tony. I'm your host, Tony Duchesne. Today on the show, we have Jerry Miner. His credits include Those Who Can't, which is, uh, you're still on that show now. Yeah, is that right? Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Yes. Um, it comes on um, Monday nights at 10 p.m. All right. And then I'm going to run through just a few highlights of uh, more credits from you. You're on Community, Eastbound and Down, Arrested Development, Lucky Louie, Mr. Show with uh, Bob and David, David and Bob, Bob and David, Bob and David. Mm-hmm. And then you also do uh, you do a lot of stuff with uh, UCB, and you're a stand-up comedian. Mm-hmm. And I got through that. Yeah, you did. Yeah, that was good. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and then and you were also on SNL for a year. Yes. Okay. Uh-huh. All right. But why are we here? Because we're both good-looking. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and we're both ex-Jehovah's Witnesses. So we're gonna. Th- I want to talk. A l- I want to talk about that uh-huh. as part of it. And then, um, and then, and then we'll just you know we'll let it. We'll see where it goes from there. But but we have that. We have that ex-Jehovah's Witness narrative in common that just um, that here's something that I found with. Uh, <laughs> you're like you were going to interview me, right? <laughs> no. Yeah. No. I was going to ask you questions, but yeah. Go. Go ahead. Okay. <laughs> Here's what I found. Um, even though growing up at Jehovah's Witness, you know, it sucked on so many levels. That, But now that people like you and I are out of it, that we have our instant group and our instant tribe where we just go, we know. It's all we have to, it's almost like uh, people who go through divorces and lose everything and they just look at each other with that. It's just like, we know. That's all we need. It's we know. And it's, but there's something cool about it. When you meet extra Jehovah's Witnesses who are nice and kind and have and aren't like crazy atheists now, I mean, uh-huh. atheists aren't crazy, but there's some really crazy atheists. Uh-huh. Um, as long as people are cool, uh-huh. <laughs> we got the extra Jehovah's Witness experience, and that's just I just I love that bond. Yes, well, I mean, you know, you're gonna have your percentage of certain amount like type of people, you know, so. Um, you, you, we happen to be some of the percentage of cool people that used to be in this thing. And it is, I'm probably cool people, or people that aren't so cool that have been in it too, you know. But, but I will say this: cool or not cool, they still have that thing that you just talked about, where we can go, we can nod at each other and go, "Yeah, I've been through what you've been through." Yeah. No matter what anybody's position, I think you know, when I uh, before I think that people were so aware as they are now, I guess before people talked about the experience as much as they are now yeah. online. Um, when I would meet people just in random and, and it might come out that like, oh, you grew up uh, JW, you grew up Jehovah's Witness. Um, there wasn't a lot of uh, uh, judgment in those conversations. Those conversations would just be, I understand. There wasn't, it wasn't even like, where do you stand? What do you believe now? 
none of that. It was just like, oh, really? Oh, man. Yep. It's heavy, huh? Yep. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you know, and not even knowing, like, where they, they may still believe in it. They may not. I don't know. That, those are the, that was the extent of the conversation that I would have with people. Right. And I find it intriguing because I've had some very cool conversations with people who still believe, but they're out. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, I used to be that guy, too. I still believed, but I was out. And like kind of intellectually, but I was like, eh, I, you know, I'm gonna. You, there's, you know, Armageddon's still coming. I gotta figure my way through this. Uh-huh. Right, right. <laughs> oh, um, you know, I guess when when I left, I had to make more of a decision on whether I believed it or not. But yeah. there were still remnants of that kind of stuff that I think that were in it. But I think I made more of a clean break when I got this fellowship that that it was that it was I didn't believe any of it. You know. And so your clean break is um, in a very intense story. Uh, can we can we just like go straight to that? Sure. Yeah. 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 yeah so I I tried to commit suicide, and then when you when you tried to commit suicide, were you still a Jehovah's Witness or? Yeah, okay. Yes, definitely. Um, and with the prospect of being disfellowshipped. Okay. Yeah. Actually, the same night, the same night as I whatever sin that I committed, I, I decided that that was it. That, I, that it was too much, and uh, I didn't want to be disfellowshipped, and I wanted to like, just take my chances with, um, with God, with Jehovah, and see if I could make it into the new system. But I did not want to live anymore. I felt like I had sinned bad enough to where, you know, just go ahead and take care of it. So, oh, I'm sorry. So, um, so you, you had the initial meeting uh, with the judicial committee, is what they call it, right? Did did you? Uh, oh, you didn't have that yet. No, I mean like you, same night. The same I night. Okay. Send and then. Wait, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> okay, go back. And then, okay, go, go back. The judgment was pronounced by who? By by yourself? By myself, yes. Oh, let's oh let's go back to the thought process on that, if you'd like, because I thought the elders were already involved, but they weren't at this point. No, well, they were involved with other matters, but then this matter in itself, no. So yeah, yeah. So I've been I had been reproved before, you know, like a year before that or whatever. And reproved is like, uh, you, you know, you're you're still cool, but we're, we're keeping an eye. On keeping an eye on you, yeah, like probation, right? Right, exactly. <laughs> so yeah, I I don't know if I was still on probation. Uh-huh. I don't think I was. Yeah, may have been. I don't know. Um, but um, but this particular matter, this crime, this <laughs> no, this took place that night, and then that night I decided before the morning. You know, before the sun came up, that I was not worthy of living anymore. I was pretty depressed before that, anyway. You know, <laughs> it's it, it's it's hard when, especially being a teenager in the Jehovah's Witnesses, when you're pounded with, you know, don't don't explore yourself, don't explore anything, because we're not here to explore ourselves. We're here as kind of the collective. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. So, uh, in my situation, um, I was already depressed. You know, like I said, I, I was already uh, having a hard time. A lot of my friends had dropped out, and it dropped out in hard ways, a lot like myself. Um, friends who had tried to attempt suicide or who'd end up, uh, you know, getting kicked out of their house. or You know, just, just it seemed like a, a hard, a lot harder road to getting out than, than, than a lot of other things, you know. Um, so that was weighing on me. Um, also, uh, not having uh, prospects for a good job and... It's just depressed. I was depressed with the whole the whole system. Um, twenty nineteen twenty somewhere in between there. Yeah. Yeah. So um, so the the what what was the what was the sin you committed, and then what was and then what happened 
to bring you to the place where he's just like this um this world you know the only world that we knew is yeah. is over for us what it was, and then um you know uh, yeah i guess bring us into that well yeah i uh so i had sex i did drugs <laughs> um, all in the same night yeah <laughs> yeah well and i kind of like flipped out you know yeah. so i was depressed and i was just like forget it all you know i i did this thing kind of flipped out and then was like okay i'm just gonna die you know i think i kind of decided even before like i'm gonna try these drugs and i'm gonna have sex and and then that's gonna be it you know like i can't um i can't cope um and i'm depressed and i don't want to be around anymore so i might as well just just do this and then i was just so depressed afterwards that i was just like you know carried it all the way through um so yeah, um, that was the first time I'd ever done any kind of drugs. Uh, you know, um, I can't even okay, say. What was the drug? Because you went, you went straight. Cocaine, uh, crack cocaine. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it, you know, this was like. I hear that's a gateway drug. <laughs> you know, at the time, um, people weren't even calling it crack. Uh, this was like 1989, somewhere around there, 1990. So. Um, I remember them saying like, "Oh, we're gonna get high," and I'm like, "Oh, well, I'll do whatever," you know, like I'm, I'm game. I'm, you know, I'm depressed or whatever. Uh, and they were talk, they were saying they were gonna base. That's what people called it then, okay. free base. And I remember them like having to cook it up to to be able to smoke it. Like it wasn't like in, we didn't get it in crack form at that point. Later on in the night, we did. <laughs> but at that point, I think we had powder that we had to cook up somehow. Somebody had to cook up somehow, and then we smoked it. And then later on, I wanted more because it was great. <laughs> I felt great. And then I remember, like, I spent up my whole paycheck. And, and for the two girls that I was uh, getting high with at the beginning of the night, by the end, there was probably... 20, 35 people with, with us in our group <laughs> going back and forth from the out on the street going and getting more more yeah. drugs you know yeah so um, what's what's intriguing is so you're kind of on a cocaine high which I've only yes. been on cocaine like a real cocaine high like twice in my life and man I felt like I was the king of the world and nothing can hit me so how was it getting was it when you were starting to come down off the cocaine yes. that, that, the, that the suicide oh, okay yeah most definitely. And like I said, I was depressed before, and then I had this crazy night, and then, you know, so I come down, um, and I didn't realize that, you know. Years later, I, I, had no, I didn't know anything about drugs. I, didn't, I don't even know if I knew what we did, you know. So I, it wasn't until years later that I kind of realized, like, oh, I was crashing and, you know, depressed and, uh, and anxious. On a, on a level that's so amazing that you probably haven't felt that much yeah. coming down on anything no, yeah. no never been that high or that yeah. you know crashed that much you know um yeah that, it you know even sometimes i've had like i got ptsd from that because i can kind of like sense what that night was like and what i was feeling like and like and the feeling of like the of the night ending but be still being having that anxiety i know anybody that's ever done like any kind of upper cocaine or whatever and i kind of can understand what i'm what i'm talking about you know right. Where you can't go to sleep, so you're anxious. So, so uh, yeah, that's part of the crash. Yeah. Of course, I didn't know any of that, so that was part of what led to the whole thing. Yeah, I'm sure. Oh yeah. Yeah, or at least the desperation. I was feeling depressed, but the desperation to actually go through with it and do something. Yeah. And 
Yeah, because I tried a couple different things. I tried to smash my car into a wall. I tried to uh, overdose, which is what landed me in the hospital. All the same night, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I tried to asphyxiate myself with a garden hose in the window and all that stuff. None of that stuff worked until I um, overdosed, and then I had to go to the hospital. And even that was like, it took a long time um, for me to actually get to the hospital because I was able to... uh, Fool my mom, who I told at first that I had taken a bunch of pills, called the ambulance. I told them that I tricked her and I threw them down the toilet, and the, and the ambulance, the fire department left. Whoa. So I had they a. They didn't even check your vitals. Or didn't check my vitals, and well, I wasn't at that point. I wasn't um, showing any signs of of um, what you would call poisoning uh, until later, yeah. and that's when I went to the hospital. And um, yeah, got my stomach pumped. Really, really survived. Um, uh, I was really fortunate to survive, um, and, and without a lot of damage yeah. to myself too. But I did survive, and then after that, um, I think that was like it was just a big awakening. After that, I did go through the judicial committee. Oh, okay. So, <clears throat> so um, this is so. You're how long were you in the hospital for? Um, at least a couple of months. I don't even remember. Yeah, at least a couple of months. Yeah, and and was that more for um, the the psychotherapy as well? So yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, they don't let you out, you know, <laughs> right away. So they had to make sure that was that was okay before they let me out. Did, did, <clears throat> did they at the time? Did you kind of get some tools to hang on to, yeah. even what, before you were thrown back into the um, the the Jehovah's Witness um, kind of stronghold? Yeah, I think the biggest. Well. Um, and I'll, I, you know, I have this podcast, so I, I talk about a little bit about this in, in the podcast that's coming out. Because um, I've done other podcasts, where, but I haven't been as uh, detailed about this whole story. Yeah, yeah. But it happened to, um, there was another um, Jehovah's Witness kid, or kid who had been raised Jehovah's Witness, that was in the psych ward with me oh, wow. at the same time. Uh, and he was gay. Um, and Which is a huge no-no. Huge, huge no-no. And I hadn't seen him in a long time. I remember his his father, and, and he, he'd come around every once in a while, and we went to the same high school, and then he kind of, he was one of those bad kids, you know. Um, he's definitely flamboyant, so it was kind of like, you know, <laughs> it wasn't a surprise or whatever. And none of the, as far as the sexuality came up while we were in the hospital, that wasn't the, the issue. It was just the issue of, like, me realizing that he was as depressed as I was. Because he was a flamboyant kid. When I would, yeah, when I would see him, at the Kingdom Hall or whatever, he was defiant. And, or I see him at school, he was defiant and gay. And, you know, and, and so I didn't realize, like, the weight that it was putting. I was surprised that all of this was putting that much weight on this kid, you know. Um, so there was that. Uh, also, yeah, I did get some real tools. Uh, I actually got to see a real therapist uh, who talked to me and told me that I was normal and it was, I had normal desires that a man of my age would and um just talking to somebody normal i think just really helped me out a normal friend um because i think also at that point um i was really starred for any kind of normal uh interaction because i didn't have any action with anybody that wasn't a jehovah's witness i was out of school before i had high school and i kind of kept me sane and for the three two or three years that i was out trying to pioneer or whatever I had no contact with anybody that was normal, you know. So that 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 time I was in the hospital, really, like, uh, just for a couple of months, it was just, I just really improved. Um, my uh, my mood improved a lot. 
and I wasn't going to meetings. So, and and, and to and when we talk about going to meetings, we're talking three times a week. We're talking a lot of time spent where um, if you know if you're working a day job, if you're pioneering, the rest of your time is with Jehovah's with the Jehovah's Witness community. Yeah. So there's, it's not a. Um, so get it's really weird because I remember when I stopped going to meetings the first time, I felt like I was just sinning against God and everything. But I started taking radio classes, and that was my new meetings, and I would just feel guilty like learning anyway. So that, I, what I'm trying to do is just explain um, that you were out of meetings for two months, and that's a huge deal when it comes to the Jehovah's Witnesses because that's a, not something that you can actually do. So. I even stopped when I came home. I came home from the hospital. So it was a few weeks before I think I got a judicial committee. And I, I, and I don't remember how exactly I told on myself or whatever. Um, Did you tell on yourself for the suicide or for the drugs and the sex? Oh, you, okay. So you, you went in and confessed. Yes. Yeah. I may have even talked to, because an elder, an elder ultimately got me to go to the hospital. So I may have even confessed to an elder that, that morning that I went to the hospital. I'm not sure, but that, somehow. That, that, well, that's kind of a, one of the cool progressive elders to, to do he that. Wasn't, he, wasn't in the, uh, he wasn't in our judicial committee. He was a cool guy. He lived by next door to me. I really do um, uh, uh, credit him with saving my life. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he came by the house. My mother called him. He was kind of a cool guy, a uh, younger guy. Um, convinced, he was the one that convinced me to go to the hospital. Wow. Yeah. Um, and um, haven't talked to him since then. Never, I've never seen him since then. Wow. <laughs> Have you ever tried to look him up? Uh, I tried. To, I think I, years later, I tried to look up like where his family was yeah, or yeah. whatever. Yeah, I, I have no idea where they're at now, but yeah. yeah. But he saved my life. I'm sure he. I don't know. Hopefully, he he's kept in contact with me, you know, or yeah. kept in, kept an eye on me. You know, I'm kind of a public guy, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, he he came by, convinced me to go to the hospital. Now, really, in hindsight, really happy that he did. Um, and, yeah, when I came home from the hospital, there was a couple of weeks where I didn't go. And that was one of the things that um, got me to fellowship also. Because when I actually did meet with them, talked about whatever I did, confessed everything to the, to the three guys in the committee. Um, I don't know what I expected, but I just kind of lost, somehow, I just lost all faith in that, you know. And I don't know how it was so easily turned against the elders, but I've just felt like they're not helping me. Right. And for the few weeks I just talked to a doctor, mm-hmm. the guy helped me. And he didn't say anything that was crazy satanic. Right. All he said was that hey, this is normal things that people go through. I'm a doctor. Yeah. you know. Uh, I see these things all the time, and I see people who are depressed, and you're not one of those people. You don't have the problems that the people that come in here. And, um, and I can talk to you about things about your future and stuff, and that makes you feel better, you know. Um, so just, just somehow I just started to sour on the whole arrangement. Yeah. It just didn't make any sense to me. Wow. Yeah. And, and, and it was just like <laughs> scales came off my eyes. Uh, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, which, which is also, I mean, even though that's a great thing, that's hugely disconcerting on so many levels. You know, it's almost, ta- it's almost like the matrix where you take the pill and you're like, what is, wait, what is reality? Most definitely, yeah. So it's like, well, what else is out there? Because I didn't have a strong anchor to say like, well, well this is reality. Right. You see what I'm saying? So there was nothing else to go to. What I had to go through was just like a big question mark. What's life going to be like? Am I going to be successful? What, what's my place in the world, you know? All that stuff is scary. Um, 
and I think that's what scares a lot of people too. If you've been in that, I mean, you've, you've got, and, and if you're like a lot of people, you've got years, you've invested in, in, uh, in the hope that, that this uh, organization has given you. Um, yeah, it's hard to, to think about what, what to do with yourself. What, you know, what, what is my moral center? What do I, what do I believe in? You know, um, because you're told that everybody out there is just doing whatever they want to. They're not. <laughs> yeah. People do have a moral center. They, a lot of them do, no matter what, you know, no matter in all walks of life. Even people that we consider evil have sometimes have a, a center to themselves of things that they will and will not do, you know. And I wasn't taught that. I was taught that if you don't have Jehovah in your life, well, you're just willy-nilly. You have no moral center. You don't have no moral center, you know. And, and that's the belief that we all had because I, it, took me, it took me a long time. For, intellectually, I was like, wait, God is not going to kill everybody on this earth except for like the, the few million that, you know. But, so God's not going to do human side. It's not even genocide. It was, you know. <laughs> and, then, uh, and then I was like, okay. And I was trying to grapple with that. And then even after I got through it intellectually, it took me about another five to ten years to emotionally go, wait. This is not an other. Even though I wasn't hanging out with Jehovah's Witnesses, I still had, I'm hanging out with an other in my head that I, that I had no clue was still in me until I dived into that. I don't know if you had that, but it's just, it's such a, um, it still feels like a disconnect for so long. Yeah. No, you know, definitely. I mean, I still feel that way now, you yeah, know, yeah. Um, in some ways, yeah. I shouldn't even be talking to you because you're disfellowshipped <laughs> and I never got disfellowshipped. <laughs> right? <laughs> Yeah, it's that kind of thing, you know. Like I, I tell a story uh, to a lot of people when um, when I was it wasn't long after I was this fellowship. I was hanging out with some guys from work, and they uh, took me to a strip bar. I was like, hey, let's go to a strip bar. Yeah. And um, no, I don't. Okay, okay. Oh, what? Well, well, no, it was. It was the first first time I'd been to one. Yeah. Um, and um, another former former Jehovah's Witness was there working. Not even really a former. I think she, I mean, she wasn't this fellowship, but she was working. She was stripping in the bar. And she was older than me. Uh, she happened to be like somebody that I babysat for, you know. So I'm just like, oh, man, this is my opportunity or whatever. So I'm talking to her, and she's giving me a private whatever dance. And uh, this is how you can... So I get to talk to strippers, by the way. You can't talk to them without spending some money. So I'm like, oh, yeah. So she's talking to me the whole time about Jehovah and how, like, um, you know, maybe she should get back to the meetings. And have I thought about getting back to the meetings? Whoa. I'm like, not right now. Yes. <laughs> I'm not thinking about the meetings at all right now. <laughs> I've never had to pay for encouragement from a Jehovah's Witness like this in my life. <laughs> so ridiculous, yeah. yeah. Thank you for putting your butt near my genital areas. <laughs> what else would you like to talk about, God? <laughs> I know. And she was like really like eager, like you know, to talk to me. And like, like, was she like turned around and going, "Hey, could, you know, when what else were you, do you believe?" Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, she's like, I just realized that. She's sitting in my lap, grinding my lap, going, and I'm thinking about, you know, like, Jehovah's seeing this. You know, Jehovah's, don't you think about that? You think about Jehovah? I'm like, no, I'm not thinking about Jehovah right now. <laughs> you know, if I just got back to the meetings or whatever. <laughs> oh, your time's up. We could do another two songs for 40 bucks. <laughs> 
I wonder if there was other Jehovah's Witnesses that went in there too. Maybe that was her. Maybe that was. Maybe that was part of the. Uh, yeah, I, you know, I'm just. I'm being facetious here. That that was part of her game, but it's not. You know, when, I, when you believe at that level, that's that's actually a real conversation that many people have. So. Yeah. 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 Definitely. Yeah. So I wonder if like other you know witnesses have been in there. Yeah, probably not because they know they'd be seen, but you know. Oh my God, I couldn't go. To, I mean, going to R-rated movies to me. I mean, even after I was out, and I was still married to a Jehovah's Witness, so it'd be like get the ticket to the R-rated movie, kind of walk toward the PG movie, and then do a dart over to the R movie. You know? <laughs> to, do, to do a strip club is just like walking right into the den of Satan, you know. But you also were not disfellowship. You did have right. people that could see you, that could be talking, you know, and you always, you know, you still had that like. You know that thought in the back of your mind that because that's that's what thought he had really is that somebody could see you and they could but tell I, an elder. Yeah, yeah. I didn't care. My wife at the time cared, yeah. so I was ready to send a letter of disassociation, and she's that scared the crap out of her, and yeah. she begged me not to. Well, definitely, when people see you, then they, they would avoid you. You know, yeah, and I'd be like, great. <laughs> <laughs> I'm working on some other stuff here. I'm not. I'm kind of out of this, but yeah. I, uh, I I towed the line for nine years because I was still married to a Jehovah's Witness. So. That's right. That's right. I mean, you're saying that, yeah. Um, I mean, obviously, that makes you know things different. Oh, sex is great. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't imagine. Wow. It, I, Never imagined. Yeah, I didn't even realize what I didn't realize how cool sex was until after I found out I was getting divorced, and then I was, and then all of a sudden I was like, wait, wait. You're talking really dirty. We could do this. <laughs> and that was just like the beginning, you know. Oh, so it's, it's weird. Um, yeah. Um, that you know, and this relates to like seeing the the woman in the strip bar and stuff like that. Is that I was like this weird thing, having this weird attraction to a lot of girls that I would meet that I would find out that were uh, former that were ex JWs. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know why. No matter how they looked, no matter what, I think it was like maybe I felt like there was some kind of kinship, and I and I know that other people felt that too. Um, I had an experience where there's somebody I'm not gonna name, but um, uh, somebody else that, that's in the entertainment industry, and then I and I was like, hey, I caught wind that they were they'd grown up around Charles witnesses. It's yeah, like, yeah. hey, you know what? Let's talk about that sometime. Yeah. Like, all right, when do you want to talk about it? Like, oh, let's just meet up sometime next week and what did janet jackson say to that <laughs> i have such a crush on her <laughs> so many levels. i'm not gonna say it was a man or a woman but oh, okay. but what when that when i did meet them they came as if it was a date oh wow. yeah and then and then in this conversation uh they talked about how that feeling just just somehow gave them some comfort of somehow they would trust me more even though we're both like so far apart and neither one of us are thinking about like being in it but but that person was saying like that was such a thought in their head when they were growing up like this is what is this is what a wholesome you know relationship is like i still have that in 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 their head you know it's weird yeah and that's another thing where you, uh, they probably felt like they were a comrade with you. So yeah, yeah. The, a comrade and then a, remote, a romantic relationship would bond even more than if it wasn't. You know, it was also one of those things of, like, the person couldn't even, like, really describe it that well. It was just, you know, I, but I'm like, I know what you're saying. And I, 
trust me, I know how, you know, <laughs> I get it, you know. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I wasn't interested, but yeah. <laughs> Thanks for flattering me. You know, I don't even get the flattery anymore. They're just like, I just get, excuse me, sir. Oh, would you like the senior discount? I'm like, come on, I'm 49. Stop this. Oh, no. This is just wear and tear, man. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so the, then, then the Jehovah's Witnesses disfellowshipped you. So you essentially were, then you were completely on your own um, with uh, community and everything else. What was the next step for you to move, um, to get, I mean, we know where you're at today. What was that next step that started you on your journey? You know, um, and, and a lot of this, like I will say this because this mattered more than anything else. That same week, I would say, I may, and I may be stretching things, it felt like the same week. It was within the same month, I'm sure. Uh, I went out and tried to stand up. Went and tried a couple places. Right. Um, now, I remember the first place I went, I, I heard on the radio, because I remember being like just severely depressed. They must have just gotten out of the hospital. Yeah. And I heard on the radio that this club was having a, a, a talent show. So I went by the club. And I'm like, hey, are you having a talent show? And they're like, yeah, talent show's like later on tonight. And I'm like, well, I want to get in it. And I'm like, well, what do you do? I'm like, oh, I do stand up. And like well, what? Like what? And I'm like, so I did stand up for the staff that was setting up the bar that night. Like I just got up on stage, and not knowing, not knowing, like, no, I'm not going to just stand up for you guys. Like, <laughs> but they were like, let's see it. So I'm like, all right. And I got up on stage, and they turned the mics on. I did stand up for like the people just walking around, like you know, setting up the bar and stuff. Um, and then and they gave you a slot. You know what? Um, they were like, yeah, come back. The talent show is like the next week. I don't think I ever went back for the actual talent show. But in between that time, I went to another place. Um, went to a dance club. Asked if I could do because I'm like, oh, they let me do stand up. So right, right, right. went to a dance club and like went with a friend of mine. I'm like, I'm gonna try to do stand up. Yeah. <laughs> how how uh, was this? Like a large dance club? Or was the like a little small? It was a small place. I think it was actually um, it was actually like a VFW hall that was a club, you know, on Friday nights or whatever. And this is this in near Flint, Michigan? Yeah, it's in the middle of Flint, Michigan. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's like a party club going on, and I just walked up to the DJ and go, "Hey, can I do stand up?" He's like, "Oh yeah!" <laughs> Turns off the music. Everybody's mad. Like, yeah, this dude wants to do stand up. Here you go. Throws a mic to me. I get booed like crazy. You know. Uh, how, how many minutes did you try? Did you get through? I didn't get. I didn't get a sentence out. <laughs> I didn't get a sentence out. Hi, my name is G. <laughs> I said I'm going to do stand up, and they started booing. It's like this guy's going to do stand up. Go! I'm like, yeah, go! Shut up! Shut up! Fuck you! Fuck you! Fuck you! Shut up! <laughs> um, and those were my first two experiences. And, and with that point, you're like, this, this is me. <laughs> It meant nothing to. I don't even know why I didn't go like this is awful. I, I think all I thought was, well, I need to do it in a place where people. I mean, I did realize that people want to see see you actually do stand up, where they're not like dancing and you cut cut them off and stop right. them from dancing to, to tell them some jokes that they didn't they didn't ask for. I know you're I know you're grinding against that girl that you just met two minutes ago, but let's stop that for a minute and we'll discuss some things I find funny. The jokes witness in me, you know. I come. I used to. That was one of my first jokes, actually. Really. When I do stand up, I'm like, oh, what, what was your, what was on your? Uh, I used to be one of Job's witnesses. Uh, don't worry, I'm not going to come to your door and tell you jokes tomorrow. Yeah, <laughs> Always got a good laugh. Yeah, one of my first jokes. Um, but then, but um, oh yeah, we were talking about your journey. So you yeah. you started doing stand up, and then um, 
then then kind of what took you to the next level where you started to develop a set and um it was back and forth again um you know i wasn't so much struggling with at this point i think or not consciously with the religion but more just with depression uh that wasn't the first time it wasn't the last time i tried to commit suicide i tried it again um but um how many years was that afterward oh within the within a year oh really okay within the same year yeah and then did you did you enter a psychiatric facility again and get more tools is that what i did um but they didn't uh i did i wasn't i didn't have to go in this for long for some reason now, at that point i was not living with my mother anymore my mother uh, i was living with my mother when i got disfellowshipped and when i tried to commit suicide the first time uh, she kicked me out. She asked me to leave. Um, I had a father who was not a Jehovah's Witness. Um, I wouldn't say I was estranged, but, you know, the more I got deeper in with the witnesses, the more I started pioneering, was the less uh, contact I had with my dad. So that got me more, you know, contact with my dad, who kind of also didn't really know what was going on and was always kind of perplexed with the whole religion um, thing. He'd always had a problem, you know, even when I was growing up. Um, so I went to live with him, went to college. Yeah. Start so what was the choice to go to college? Because that's not something that was born into us. That's actually a very defiant thing to go against the belief system, especially at that time. Uh, well, you know, it was more of like my, my relatives, my, my worldly relatives, my, my dad, who was just like, you know, this is what you should do. And I mean, he was trying to encourage me to do that, obviously, when I was a witness. And I said, no, <laughs> I'm not going to do that. So I just got on the more of the track of what I would have would have been a normal life, you know, when I went to live with my dad. So I started doing all the things I would have done um, if I hadn't been a Jehovah's Witness. I started going to college. Um, yeah, it was my dad was like, well, you're here now. You might as well get an education, you know. You got an opportunity. Uh, so I enrolled in some classes in the local at the local college uh, art class. Started doing started doing more stand up. I, I found actual clubs actual stand-up clubs to go to um and actually i went to um another like bar that i found out that was actually doing stand-up so i'm like okay i'm gonna go to this bar to do stand-up still in the area though um saw the stand-up it was on stage um saw him out off stage after the show i was like hey man how do i do this you know where do i go how can i get up on stage he ended up being a friend of my stepsister yeah, my sister is not a Jehovah's Witness. Grew up with my dad, grew up with my grass family. They don't have any idea what Jehovah's Witnesses are or whatever. But, um, and she was much older than me. So um, he told me everything I needed to know. He's like, hey, go to this club and this club. Just tell them, you, you know, you want to do an open mic or you want to do, uh, you say, you want to do a guest set. Tell me you want to do a guest set. And you, you, you're not going to get paid money, but you'll be able to get your name out there and people will see that you can do stand-up. And it worked. I would go to a club. first club I went to was in Detroit. I said, hey, I want to do a guest set. They booked me first night. I said, hey, come back, you know. Because they were always, back then, it was the stand-up boom. Right. And uh, so there were a lot of traveling comics uh, and uh, not a lot of opening acts. You need, you need an act to open. And the comics don't bring acts with them, so a lot of local comics would be the opening acts. And so... Um, I started. I booked the first gig I did with the club. Then started um, got with a booker. Started meeting other comics, you know, uh, people who were on the road, and talking to them, saying, "What other clubs can I go to?" Then I started working a lot of clubs that were in the area. And like I said, a lot of clubs were doing stand up. Then it was the boom, stand up boom. 
So um, I ended up doing a lot of like resort clubs, like in northern Michigan, Ohio, and uh, Illinois, and you know, just in the area that I lived. Um, yeah, and got got a lot, of, got a lot, <laughs> a lot of got a really good experience at living life. You know, um, making a little money, going to school in the daytime, doing that at night. That got to be tough though, because I was like traveling and working all night and then trying to go to school in the daytime you know and it what's interesting is did you feel like you found your new community i mean it was instant community that was one of the good things uh yeah it was i mean it was weird though too the it's weird for me but it's just what i learned so i would go on stage um you know make people laugh and then sit at the back of the club and watch people come out and people would be kind of, hey, congratulations, oh, good show. And I'm like, hey, you want, you want to hang out? <laughs> I ended up hanging out with people and making friends, you know. So I made a bunch of friends of just, like, hanging out at the back of the club. Obviously, I made a lot of friends with comics, but a lot of those guys are weird. <laughs> but the normal people that were in the audience, I would make friends with them, too. Yeah. Yeah, those green room. I, I only did stand-up for about a year. So, uh-huh. you know, but I remember the, it got to the point in the green rooms where I was like, oh, God, I hate, like, there would be, like, you know, five, six of us. And I'd be like, I hate Five of them, and I'm good friends with that guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, right. Um, I hate your material. I hate your personality. <laughs> you know, I didn't... I, 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 I became friends with guys that I started with that I'm still friends with. Um, you know, stand-ups are kind of um, weird in a way where, you know, you, you, so much of it is uh, yourself, so much of it is being lonely on the road. Um, so you get a camaraderie, but, but there are people who are really comfortable with being by themselves, probably more comfortable than they are with, but they go and entertain a crowd of people every night. It's this weird type of person. Um, and so it, I think it leads to weird social interactions and weird friendships that you wouldn't have normally. My friendships with like stand-up comedians are way different than they are with even other actors. They're just, just a different breed person. So, uh, from stand-up comedy to acting, what, what, what was the, um, what was the instigator to go, wait a second, I think I can act. I, let's try this. Um, I, I was doing uh, some stuff around uh, the Detroit area. and um, like, like plays and stuff? No, I was doing stand-up. Oh, okay. And um, I met up with another stand-up who was like, hey, I'm doing um, a sketch show. And I'm like, what's a sketch? <laughs> She's like, oh, I'll show you. So she, uh, she was rich. She was married to a baseball player, former baseball player, and she was a doctor. She was like, well, every weekend I take a flight to Chicago and I take these classes at this place called Second City. Um, I'll go with you. We can go. They do shows there. I'm like, all right. So we went and watched the show. And then I learned, like, oh, the people from Saturday Night Live saw the pictures. And it's like, oh, Belushi was at this place. Dan Aykroyd was here. I love Saturday Night Live. It's like, I was always wondering, like, how do you do that? And I loved kids in the hall. Like, how do you, that sketch. So she's like, that's the kind of show I want to do, and that's why I brought you here. I'm taking these classes to learn how to do this stuff. And then they base this stuff in improvisation. They, Im- they improvise. And I'm like, well, that's, that's crazy. I didn't even co- couldn't go that far. I'm like, right, right. just making it up, that, that's impossible. But let me get into the sketch thing. So um, she, we went back to Detroit and did a show that was kind of like a Second City kind of style show, Saturday Night Live kind of show, sketch show. Uh, and a couple of the friends that I knew that I did stand-up with, I knew from a stand-up club, uh, were in that sketch show with me. We formed a sketch group from that show. And we started doing shows around Detroit. So instead of doing stand-up, I started doing shows with these guys. And we did colleges and stuff like that. 
And so did, was your draw starting to go more towards uh, doing sketch than comedy? Yeah, I was better at it. It was more fun. Then once I did that show, it's just like, oh, this is what I need to do. You know, I got good laughs, and uh, just it, yeah, I was just like, that's my niche. Yeah. I just f- found it, you know. Yeah, yeah. But I didn't know what that was beforehand, how to do it. So, and then that Second City thing, she clued me in on. Uh, years later, they decided to open up one up in Detroit. Surprised the shit out of me, because at that point I was kind of thinking like, maybe I should move, maybe to L.A., New York. But I'm still doing stand up. Um, but I like that sketch kind of thing. I'm like, I don't know where they, where do they do that? Do they do it in Chicago? Chicago seems kind of, I don't know if I want to move there. Uh, and then they opened uh, a theater in Detroit and I auditioned and started doing uh, the sketch and, and improv thing there. And there was, there was probably uh, better money doing the stand-up, though. Was that kind of the lure or no? Or am I out of my mind? You know what? No, not for me, actually. Because the stand-up was, and that's the thing, when they opened up a theater that actually they paid a cast to be in, I'm like, well, that's what I want to do. I can get paid to do that comedy. We were getting paid a little bit, though, um, as a group. We are finding gigs here and there. We were starting to do schools a lot. Although it was, Yeah, but it wasn't like every week, you know, or where I got hired for this theater that did shows every night, you know, four times a week. Uh, whereas, like, I was just scrambling to get gigs at colleges and stuff, and or you know, working with promoters that didn't pay you, and you know, all that shit, you know. Um, so yeah, I was definitely like, and I, I, everybody in my group, we all auditioned for the group, and I was the only one that got in, because you, know? you know, our intent was like, well, we're, you know, we're the best sketch group in Detroit, They're, they'll just hire all of us, you know. <laughs> so we'll just, you know, we'll, audi- we'll all audition and we'll get in, and that didn't happen. I got in. And, yeah, that was it. <clears throat> so, and then from doing sketch, I mean, one of um, one of your uh, one of the I don't know if this is around the same time that uh, Mr. Show was going on. Is that is doing sketch got you into that gig? Yeah. Um, so, my last year of in Detroit, uh, our director, my director of the show, uh, was working with uh, Bob and David, making the pilot for Mr. Show. Uh, so he was going back and forth. Uh, from Detroit to L.A., uh, working with them, and um, they wanted to shoot a sketch that was supposed to be in the inner city, and there was nothing around L.A. that looked like that. And he's like, I'm doing this show in Detroit. Why don't you guys fly to Detroit? We'll shoot the sketch in Detroit, and we can use some of the people, some of the actors there that are in Second City. So they came up, uh, shot the sketch that ended up not in the pilot, but ended up in the show when the show got picked up on HBO. So... Year down the road, right? I do the sketch for them, like oh, great or whatever. They send me, they send me a, a like a kind of a rough cut of their idea of what Mr. Show was going to be, um, which was really weird because it was like had different people in it, different cast members, um, different people who I'd worked with later on. You know, oh, wow. yeah. Uh, Louis C.K. was in it. It's weird. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was wow. in this. So, um, so I, but I looked at the what they sent me. I'm like, oh, good luck. You know. Because it was nothing like Saturday Night Live, right? It was just completely different. Um, and it wasn't finished. So I'm like, that'll never work. And then I turn on HBO and it's on. And I'm like, what? That, that show that I did, you know? And then, so I don't know if I got in contact with him or what, but Bob was looking for me. I kept hearing, like, that guy Bob Odenkirk is looking for you. You did a sketch for him. And the reason they were looking for him is just they wanted to run that sketch that I had done for them for the pilot and it had to get clearance yeah yeah. Um, and he's like hey man you know you should like be on the show like the show's picked up you were great in that that sketch 
Um, if you're ever out in L.A., just look me up. It's like, all right. A year after that, they go on to, to do another season. And by then, I'm a fan. So I'm, like, getting the tapes and bringing them to people. And I go and work in Toronto. I went to the second city. Uh, I got transferred there to work. Uh, in the meantime, I've gotten married and divorced in the meantime. And all this stuff, yeah. Yeah. Um, I love how we pack it in in our 20s, right? <laughs> well, I was packing in life. Yeah. And everything yeah. was coming a mile, you know, a mile a second, you know, like uh, I got. Oh, was it almost like an embracing, like, oh my God, this is this is the outside, this is what I get to do. You know, I stand up and I'm like, oh, a year later, I'm in Chicago, I'm doing this, you know, I moved to Chicago, uh, and for me, I'm like, I'm trying to catch up with everybody else that's my age because I'm behind, you know. Yeah. Um, I still feel that. Yeah, I I do too. Well, hey, you know, I had my first child. I'm 50, you know, <laughs> and that is definitely like. Me catching up with life, trying to you know build a personality, and so I was definitely doing that then. Um, and, and so there was no, I wasn't saying no to anything. There was no like, well, let me just like relax and see what this is like for a little while. Like, nope, you know, I'm doing stand up. Nope, now I'm doing sketch. Now I'm going to Chicago. Now I'm doing, you know, now I'm married. Now I'm divorced. No. <laughs> you got to get the first one out of the way. So you did it a lot quicker than me. I did 13 years hard times. <laughs> I did six years. Oh, you did six. Oh, that's yeah. that's a long time too. I did. So I got married maybe a year after I got disfellowshipped. Year two. Year two. Yeah. Pretty soon. Because I was still, I mean, completely, you know, out of, out, of, uh, out of the religion or whatever. But I was still trying to live a morally clean, morally clean life. I wanted to prove. Is too close to the mic? Nah, I wanted to no, prove. <laughs> okay. Here's my little monitor. Oh yeah, you got monitor. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I wanted to prove that I could be clean somehow. That it wasn't just about me wanting to live a debauched life. It's, you know, Which still, totally it, was, it was still in my my brain. Even though like I was rejecting the the uh, the theology, somehow I still was like, I want to prove to them that I'm that this isn't just about me wanting to sin. Not even thinking, like, no, there's no, there's no sin. <laughs> you know, so I got married way too young. Um, and, yeah, I was just trying to live, I guess, a Jehovah's Witness life without being one. Yeah. You know, without going into me. And it was more of a, and it was a defiance. It was. It was like, I can be, this isn't just about me wanting to smoke or, you know, go to dance clubs. This is, you know. Um, I, I, same same with me. I mean, I was I was doing music coverage for the San Francisco Chronicle. I was DJing. I was going out three nights a week to see bands, but I wouldn't smoke pot. And it was just like I wouldn't cross certain lines just because I'm like, you know what? No, I'm I'm I don't have to. Uh, it, it was also almost in my brain where I'm like, I'm I'm still technically morally a Jehovah's Witness, even though I'm not. So. I'm having a lot of fun and doing what I need to do and doing my writing, and no one can get me for anything. Kind of thing. Well, and, and it's like I was already in fellowship, so my thing was more of like, oh, yeah. screw you, people. Right. I'm just as good yeah, as you. Yeah. yeah. And, and not knowing that nobody cares. <laughs> yeah. Isn't it crazy when we find out nobody cares? <laughs> Either way, nobody cares at all. Nobody yeah. anywhere. Yeah, yeah. I mean, even outside the Jehovah's Witnesses, like you think you think everyone's looking at you and caring. No. They're worried about themselves, and that's such a that was so profound to me. That was about six months ago. I figured, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just now, right? Yeah, people don't care. Um, I mean, you know, the whole thing. I, I think it was a big uh, wake up call for me to think 
for some reason I thought that um, the organization itself was much more prominent and known. And to go through life and go like, people just have no idea what they stand for, what they are, what they believe in, and they don't care. And there's no way you can tell me, because on the other side I'm thinking like, well, we're making a name for ourselves. People are like, you can't tell me that that's fair, that all these people are going to die. Well, they don't have any idea what, like what? Why is it, why is the sky turning red? Why is the fire coming from what? Jehovah's Witness, okay, well, whatever. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. I've never heard of that. (laughs) That thing that you're telling me now. Well, you are judged anyway. Like, what? That didn't make any sense to me the longer that I was out, you know, to know that. People just have no awareness of this. And I don't think they realize the violent images that we were... I mean, we were given very violent images when I was growing up as a kid, you know, like four years old, five years old, um, that the sky is coming down and crashing, that I believe I still have panic issues over because that's in my from my DNA from being so young. I'm just, I'm just blown away. If I had a kid and someone showed stuff like that to them, I'd beat the shit out of them because that's like violence porn, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I feel the same way, too. And, and, and it's weird that I still have that in me of, like, that kind of thing of the expectation of, like, yeah, we're any day, like, there could be horrible disaster. Remember when I was in New York in 9-11, and, and it was like, you know, I felt like two things. First of all, like, oh, this is, this is, like, this should be happening. And then I felt of, like, no. This is a real disaster. Like, this is not the dream that I had in my mind of, like, what Armageddon would be like. Like, no, this is, this is real. This is, these are real emotions. These are real. Um, it kind of changed my whole mindset of that kind of thing, too, you know, of, like, the, the, the idea of I had in my head or the fear that I had in my head is not really reality of, of disasters like that, you know. It wasn't what I was thinking of disasters. I was thinking more of, like, what can I do to help people and things like that. Isn't that great? Um, I've got that too, where I fear the worst. And then, but when something does come up, I haven't been in anything that's like 9-11, but when something comes up, I'm all of a sudden, I'm kind of calm and it's like, oh, we're broken down on the freeway. Okay. We're going to work together to get through this. There's this weird human connection, connectivity and energy that just happens. Let's work through. Yeah. And it's seeing everybody else like that too, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And you know, and I'm, you know, I was there, like, under under Brooklyn, you know. <laughs> I remember going across the bridge when I was leaving because I left um, that same week after 9-11, and I re- remember seeing the watchtower. I'm like, I wonder what they're doing in there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, that propaganda machine yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm sure a lot of people, like, rushed back. But I wasn't even thinking that. I was like, this is not – you you can't rush back. This wasn't predicted at all in your any of your shit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is going to – Unassuredly changed the world. I knew that like, yeah. this is going to change the world. Yeah. This had, you had no inkling that this was going to happen yeah, yeah. in your city where you're at right now. Yeah. You know, yeah. you could see those towers coming down from your building. Yeah. You know, so yeah. How could we spin this to a prophecy? <laughs> they, they didn't. You know, not even try. Didn't even try. You know, no. I I, I know that like they had a, a spike of people coming back. You know, yeah. Um, yeah. but. Uh, they never even like commented. In fact, there's stories about like them helping people, and people actually questioning was at the beginning of the Great Tribulation, and then people going like, "Wait, no, that doesn't have anything to do with it. What, what oh, are you talking wow. about?" Okay. But, but the actual reaction in 
there was that they were helping people because people were coming, you know, going back and forth from Brooklyn, trying to go across the bridge, and the, actually them stepping up and helping people. <laughs> oh, that's cool. Yeah. And that's when um, you were on Saturday Night Live that year? Is that what? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, that was probably intense as hell being on the SNL, uh, from the stories I've heard. Um, I had just finished the season, and I was already fired, so I was coming back to L.A. So for me... Oh, oh so how many is... So you, you, you just got on and you were fired? And then, you, and, then you, and then it worked out for you very well, though. Well, no, I was pissed because I was... I had been in L.A., and I'd, you know, I'd done... You know, a couple, few TV shows and stuff. I had worked. It wasn't a lot of like like a lot of people in SNL. Where it's like, oh, what do I do now? And like, I was just like, all right, I'm going back to. I'm just pissed. Oh yeah. And I was going to show them, you know, all, you know, whatever. Uh, just, just like with the Jehovah's Witnesses, watch me on TV. You can't yeah. talk to me, but you can see me. I wasn't going to stay another like day in New York. I was keeping my apartment, but I'm like, I'm going back to New York. I had a job, you know, I had stuff worked out, lined up, you know. So I'm like, I'm going back to work, whatever. And then 9/11 happened. So for me, it was like, then I can't get out of here. I was supposed to take a plane like that the day after, and I couldn't get out until the next week. So I was just like sitting around New York, like, God damn it, damn it. Like those terrorists, like, I'm ruining my career. I need to get started, you know. Uh, Thanks a lot, Jehovah. Yeah. Right? <laughs> you know, I'm then like completely um, sober about everything. I'm like, those terrorists did it. They're ruining my life. I hate Osama bin Laden right now. I was not, like, deluded at all about anything. Yeah. I knew exactly what happened, and all I needed to do was get to L.A. and get the fuck out of New York. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah that's cool. and, uh, and then when you came to L.A., were you still, have, you, have you been doing stand-up or still do stand-up? Or what, or? Yeah, and I still, you know, I, I do more character stuff. You wouldn't probably call it stand-up, but, um, yeah, I do stuff all the time at um, UCB, different clubs around town, more alternative kind of stuff. I do stuff yeah. at Largo. Yeah. You know, that was like where I first started when I first came to L.A. Okay. I do a lot of stuff at Largo. Yeah. Go up and do a character or some crazy thing on stage. Yeah, I know. I Because um, we, we were talking at UCB. And um, what's, what's the show you do at UCB? Is it on Friday nights? I, what was that one we were talking about? Um, well, I'm doing a show. I haven't done a regular show there. I'm doing a show uh, coming up n- next Tuesday. Oh, great. This airs on Wednesday. <laughs> okay. Well, this will have air. So that show went really great. <laughs> Wasn't the, yeah that show was great huh you did you were that was the most amazing I've seen you well I just say I put it like this more general I'm always doing shows there and they're always random yeah. you know um, a friend of mine is doing a show I, we're, I'm doing a sketch kind of show soon where it's um, we're pretending like it's a retirement party and so everybody's gonna be giving up giving speeches like it's a retirement party and doing some kind of uh, skill and we're all it's all in the conceit that we work at this uh, factory oh, <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'm always doing stuff like that or improv, doing improv there. So just going up and getting a suggestion, doing yeah. improv. You're still working the muscle. It seems like sketch. It seems like it seems like sketch is your um, is kind of your anchor to the entertainment world. Is that is that a good yeah. way to say? It? Yeah. Well, for me, it was also a way of me getting a lot of work. Yeah. When I first came to LA, um, you know, I worked on Mr. Show. Obviously, um, that was the reason I came. But then that show ended. Uh, right after I came here, so I had to figure out what to do. So I started doing a lot of one-man shows around town, um, and that got me 
book that got me uh, hired. And, you know, I, that was the way I was able to show, like, oh, I can do this character, this character, and I, could t- I would just go up and do them on stage. And that's gotten me a lot of work, you know, just people having to see me on stage doing a character or doing something and like, oh, yeah, come in and audition for this thing, or you that's exactly what I wanted you for. I mean, not as much now, but um, when I first started, that was my kind of introduction to the business was, like, people would see me doing something. You know, I didn't have to wait to be on a show, a television show. I would just go to a club and do it, yeah. Man, um, I was looking into your eyes, and I completely forgot my next thought. <laughs> I know they're like that; they're magical, oh, like that. They're, just, they're dreamy. Oh, I was, I was going to ask you something. The current state of uh, my performance, my perform no, performances. What that? No, uh, what Let me see. Uh, all right, this is what happens when you have a brain fart, and we're in uh, we're in Los Feliz, California. Um, so, okay, I'm trying to bring it back. This is what happens when you do too many uh, too many shots of Jägermeister in your twenties, kids. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's for sure. Mine's more thirties, but yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, well, that was the one thing. See, because I was still around the Jehovah's Witnesses. Oh man, you know, because I was, and they drank. They would come over and drink all my liquor. <laughs> they did drink. That was one thing I did do. I was fortunate enough to do and. And did it underage, too. I remember uh, me and my friend, another witness friend, we would go to this liquor store that would just give us <laughs> whatever booze we wanted. And we would go, like, before or after uh, Kingdom Hall. And we, we cleaned. We cleaned a, a, a restaurant at night. So we, 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 well, who didn't? <laughs> I, did, I did once, and I felt so guilty. We had three beers before we went to the Sunday morning meeting. Uh-huh. And... And I was just like, I, I felt like I was defying, I was putting like my middle finger right in God's face. I never, I, then later when I was married and my uh, ex-wife would be like, you have to at least come to one day of the district convention with me. I would just pop Xanax and bring my New Yorker and just sit there and read that underneath the watchtower. It's like, it was like my porn, you know. Oh man, I know so many people who like, ah, you know, a couple glasses of wine before dinner and then, um, then I, gotta, I gotta give a talk. Oh, I'll be loose. I'll be loose for my talk at least. <laughs> yeah, that's one thing they did is drink. And then, like, if anybody that knows the people at Bethel, and and I learned this as I got older, but they they really drink. They're really yeah. known for their drinking. And it, and I, I would, when I was growing up, I was like, that's cool. Like, yeah, <laughs> and like, yeah, because the leader was an alcoholic at one time. Right. So, <laughs> yep. Yeah. So it kind of became the tradition, the, the, the culture. They had a culture of drinking. Yeah. That okay. So then I'm glad that you brought that up because it has nothing to do with what I had to say. But it finally came back into my mind. Is um, you never really talked about um, growing up a Jehovah's Witness until some years ago. We, we talked about that. What, what, what was the what was the spark of going? Wait, I can just talk about being an ex Jehovah's Witness. It's okay. Yeah, I was just ashamed, you know. Um, and it was part of that whole. It was part of me just coming to terms with my how I grew up because I lost contact with my mom, hadn't really talked to her, um, and I kind of just since I did have a family, I had my dad and my stepmother. I had a brother and a sister. Um, I had a whole side of my family, even more people than I did in the Jehovah's Witness side, who kind of embraced me, and I kind of just like tried to forget it, you know, just try to be like, uh. That was, that was bad. It was horrible. But I st- always had like this mother that I wasn't talking to, and this life that I lived, and this way that I grew up, that I just never addressed because I just, uh, just wanted to forget because of the shame of it. Uh, uh, for me, it was just like a different person, and a different life. 
Um, you know, and it was also a shame that I never really examined and never thought about it. So uh, after I started examining it, I felt like, oh, there's a fear there. I have a fear of, like, maybe those people seeing it. Uh, even though I wasn't talking to my mom, I had a fear of her thinking that I might be an apostate. Um, I, probably the same fear that a lot of people have. They just never thought about it. I've talked to people about that, and they've talked, said they were scared and never really could uh, articulate what they were actually scared of, you know. And when I'm saying, like, oh, it could be the elders or oh, my mom or whatever, I, though, that, that wasn't in my mind. I'm just thinking of that now. Like, I don't know what I was scared of. I don't know what, what, were, what the shame was. Uh, it wasn't until I thought about that. And I went, wait a minute, what am I, why am I scared to talk about this? I didn't do anything. It was a horrible experience for me. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's. Um, I mean, I was ashamed too. I, I there was this point where I was coming, I was kind of coming out and feeling okay about it. And my wife was a makeup artist, so she had like three different lives going. So she, so I'd go hang out with all her gay friends, and I would just go up to them and I'd be like, "Oh man, I used to think you were going to die at Armageddon." And they'd be like, "What?" And I'd be like, "Yeah, but I don't anymore." And it's just so amazing. And I, it was almost like I was coming out as this awful person that had this belief system. And then my ex-wife at the time, she'd be like. What did you say to Thomas last night? <laughs> like, and I was no longer invited to hang out with her friends because I was just—I felt so open. Where I was just like, I could—I finally don't feel ashamed about it because it wasn't my fault, kind of thing. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah. Well, that was a big thing for me too. It's like it's not my fault. Um, also, just like kind of making sense of it. You know, it was hard to make sense of that whole—that whole, that whole um, thing and the whole experience until I started even reading. Uh, from people's experience and like we were talking about there wasn't a lot a lot of stuff out there and a lot of that stuff was um, it might be a turnoff to you if you weren't as angry as them or if you weren't ready to hear the kind of things that they were talking about or or you know a lot of times I was for me the angle was more um, how I was handling it emotionally I didn't care about the, the theology I didn't, I didn't think about that you know but for other people it is they're more hung up on the theology so and at that point in time there wasn't hardly anything out there, you know. Uh, there was no internet to speak of, so how could you find things? Even trying to find a book, and those books were um, verboten. They were, uh, you know, uh, you weren't supposed to have those books. You weren't even supposed to touch them, you know, when I was one. So I had an aversion to them that I hadn't even thought about. So I started thinking about, well, why don't I read more about it then? If there's something that's in me and I've been thinking about this, why don't I read other experiences of other witnesses. Then I started to think about, well, I, I still have a phobia of that stuff. I still don't, I didn't, why not? Why wouldn't I go read the um, Crisis of Conscience? Right. It had been years, I don't believe in it, why wouldn't I read that? Oh, man, when I read, I, it had been years for me, and then when I found out about that book and read it, it made me cry. I was just yeah. like, I remember writing the letters to the king of Malawi to stop our <laughs> brothers and sisters yeah. from being slaughtered, and it's just like, whoa that wasn't the narrative and it just like i just felt as a kid i was really helping you know um when i read and this and i didn't read this until maybe 10 years ago so this was a long time before i was just like read that book um i'm like if i'd have read that then and i remembered when he got his fellowship and talking to a brother who happened to talk to another brother who was on his committee and they were like, well, what I was like, what did he say? What was so earth-shaking that he said? And they were like, that's eh, not really. It's nothing that earth-shaking. And it wasn't. <laughs> um, but if I'd have known that, it would have been earth-shaking for me. If I'd have known that they took votes 
that the governing body takes votes on things. Just just that fact alone for me would have stumbled me enough to go like, what? No. They're supposed to be inspired. Why are you taking a vote? I can't vote. I can't vote for the pre- I can't even vote for my class president. And that doesn't have anything to do with whether Jesus is king or not. We can't even do student government. You're voting? To, you know, like, yeah. Um, so yeah, don't get all worked up now, Jerry. <laughs> I did. I get. I got worked. Up. I was just like, oh, if I'd have read that, I'd have been so mad. You know, that'd been the first thing I brought up. And I think everybody has those like one thing of like, oh, wait a minute, that, you know. Um, but yeah, but before then, even even like I was a early adopter of the internet. Um, my wife at the time was a computer programmer, so I was like, I remember getting on bulletin boards still in the nineties. And uh, and seeing stuff about Jehovah's Witnesses and being scared and looking at a little bit of it and getting right off and looking at a little bit and getting right off and back then it was it was like a lot more angry because um, only a few people putting it out so it was all their perspective um, a lot of foreign stuff and it, I was scared that stuff was satanic even though I didn't even believe in Satan I was still scared of like oh if I look at it too much again not really consciously thinking that out consciously thinking like. Is that what you're really... Are you really scared that somehow there's going to be demons? Because you don't believe in demons anymore. I hadn't even rationalized that to myself. It would just be like, oh, nope, I'm, I don't want to read this. I don't know why. Um, I had that same uh, feeling when I would go into a resale shop. Go into, really? And I would go like, I'm just... I just don't like it in here. It just feels dirty. It's just, I, just, I just feel uncomfortable until I've thought about it. And I go... Oh, I, for years, I would go like, "There's demons and all this stuff." That's why you don't go to resource shops, and I never put it together. Of that's why I was uncomfortable yeah. in them. Yeah, I remember having panic attacks just being at so-called worldly people's houses, even after I was out for years. I'm like, "Why am I having panic attacks?" And then I later realized, because I think I'm going to bring a demon home. Yeah, bring a demon home. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Your pal. <laughs> You've talked about this. I've, I now I love that concept of demonic possession i think it's the funniest yeah, yeah. thing um and that in that uh there was a whole like i want to say subculture but there was a whole um folklore with what demons could do and people who told demon stories and how they could influence you and be in your house and be in inanimate objects and yeah. and things like that and uh, and those were real phobias that we that we grew up with yeah. The people, that, the people that always said, um, "Oh, they pulled they pulled the sheets and the blankets off of me when I was sleeping at night." That that came up a few times yes. in my life, and I'm like, yes. "They pulled the sheets off of you, those demons, them." Yeah, yeah, and they were really like, my mom was really into how deviant, how sexually deviant they are, because you know they um, they had sex with humans, right? Because they had all those kids, the Nephilim, you know, before the flood, <laughs> so. Anytime you're doing anything like to yourself, you're touching yourself, yeah. you're making those demons happy. You bring them around right. doing that because they, they, they want to be around and see you do deviant sex. <laughs> and I put a finger in your ass just to give you a little more. <laughs> I know this is really sick, but so just imagine the demons like peeking over a cloud slowly. I'm, I'm, I'm making a jerk off motion for yeah, people, yeah. <laughs> but looking at me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, hey! <laughs> Oh, sorry. <laughs> oh, I can't. I, we got to get that guy some pornography because I can't wait to see him erect again. Man, when he blows, man, it's one of my favorites. That thirteen-year-old kid, deviant demons. Anyway, so uh, 
Um, you, now you're working on a podcast that deals that yes. you're doing. So uh, let's talk about that for a minute. Um, the the podcast you're working on. I guess that's my that's my question. Yes. Isn't that a terrible way to question it? Yeah, uh, it's perfect, man. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's called 1989, and uh, it's dealing with that year that I committed tried to commit suicide and left the Jehovah's Witnesses basically. Yeah. So I can I can kind of I felt like I can make a good dramatic story by just by focusing on that year. Yeah. It's just when everything kind of fell through and but you you kind of get the idea of the way I grew up and the whole system and, and even also what it was like in that at that time. Yeah. It's a little bit different than it is now. Yeah, exactly. Um they were still talking about the world ending and and uh, before the year 2000 and they had reasons scriptural reasons for that and so um it was a little bit more i think imperative than it is now um they were looking for the end a little bit i don't know imminently than they are now a little bit yeah um but also um you know i was i grew up in flint michigan uh during the the crack explosion which we were just talking about so that's a part of it too because you know, I used to think like, oh, I, I tried crack. I was right in the middle of the explosion. I had a crack house on each side of me when I grew up. Um, I remember the DEA busing them. Like, you know, every week they would come and, and take all these guys out of the house, um, make them take their shoes off in the middle of the street, you know, going with guns and battering ramps and stuff like that. And and that was just like for where I grew up in Flint, it just happened out of nowhere. It was a normal mixed community uh, white and black working class. A lot of people worked in the factories and around Flint, you know, there. But um, everybody had jobs, you know, kept their lawn up. And within like five years, it was a ghetto. It was like a cracked in, you know. Um, and a murder, you know, like right down the street from me. You know, a couple murders actually in the same house. Um, yeah, it just, the violence just, it just went, went nuts. And that's part of the story I tell too. Which is another reason why, you know, I used to think, like, why did I get involved in that stuff? Like, well, all I had to do was, like, walk outside and, like, here's Cracker, you know? <laughs> and that's what I did. I was just like, I'm depressed, I'm going outside, and, like, hey, hey here you go, you know? Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, the, that just makes so much sense. Uh, Brother Jerry Miner, thanks so much for being on the show, man. Thank you for having me. Hey, and anytime you want to talk about anything else other than that, that yeah, shit. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you let me know. Yeah, this is the last time we're talking about the Jehovah's Witness stuff. Uh, that from now on, it'll we just be that. But yeah, but you know, I listen to other stuff, and it's like you have really good, you know, authors and really interesting people. Oh, yeah, and I'm yeah. sure, you know, I I should take this, uh, you know, take a, take it as a compliment that there's not that many people that you could talk to about this yes. kind of stuff. You know, yes. which is which excites me because because I, I I feel like me and you can talk about this on a level. Where we can uh, keep it as a discussion, and then people will listen. Hopefully, maybe even some Jehovah's Witnesses are kind of teetering, and go, "Oh, there's a couple of normal guys." Or you're yeah. actually we're not that normal, but you know. But and the other thing I want to bring up is, like, you're you're a huge success story. I mean, attempting suicide twice, getting that low, and then where you've how you pushed out of it is a huge success story. To people who may be contemplating suicide, or people who may be who may be that low. Yeah, I, I mean, Thank you. Yeah, it's, uh, I think it's, I, I think it's very important, and that's why I feel like your story is so important to get out there. There's that thing of it, it gets better, and I've yeah. learned I learned that from that, and that you know, it's something that somebody told me, and that if you're depressed, you're not going to feel the same. You might still be depressed, you might, but you're not going to feel the way you're feeling right now. Yeah. 
I can guarantee you that. And that's like something I can tell depressed people is that this way that you're feeling right now, it, it's just not going to last. I can guarantee you that. You're going to feel better. I can't guarantee you that you're not going to ever be depressed again, but I can guarantee you that this feeling is going to go away. And just that knowing that to, for a lot of people, you know, can get them past the moment of, you know, uh, of the feeling suicidal. You know, it's like, oh, I'm not going to just know you're not going to feel that way. So. Great. Now I got to end the show again because that was too good. So, okay. <laughs> so, uh, Jerry Miner, thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks a lot, Tony. <laughs> Could you? Well, it was that the second. Thanks a lot. Wasn't as enthusiastic as the first. Well, I mean, yeah, it was a letdown because we had already done it. Thanks a lot, Tony. <laughs> and that was Jerry Miner. He currently stars in the TV series "Those Who Can't" as Stephen Sweeney. So check that out. And coming up on our second segment, we have Amy Sedaris. This is an interview from back when her film "Strangers with Candy" came out. I thought this would be a a good pairing of interviews because we have both people from sketch comedy inside uh, uh, improv world that uh, we can bring together via audio. And also, this week's episode is sponsored by TonyDuchesne.com. Do you want to take a writing class? You can take one at UCLA Extension with me. I have one in spring. Looks like I have one in summer. And I also have one coming up online. And I do the first Wednesdays of the month at Los Feliz Library. So go to TonyDuchesne.com if you're interested in uh, learning, learn, getting your writing learning on. And now here is uh, Drinks from the Tony Archives with Amy Sedaris. Thanks for listening. Hi, this is Jerry Blank, and you're listening to Drinks with Tony. Mm, that sounds good. I'll have another round, please. Oh, I love her. <laughs> yeah. I like you. Yeah, I like you. Pirate Cat Radio, 87.9 FM, San Francisco, Los Angeles, PirateCatRadio.com. You're listening to Drinks with Tony. Amy Sedaris. Her film, Strangers with Candy, is out now in selective cities and will progressively open throughout the rest of the United States. If you're listening to this broadcast in Los Angeles and San Francisco and Oakland, I mean, and New York or Oakland, uh, you probably got it in your city already. Strangers with Candy is a prequel to the critically acclaimed series featuring Jerry Blank, a 46-year-old ex-junkie, ex-con, who returns to high school in a bid to start her life over. She's a former boozer, user, and loser, turning her life around. David Letterman's company, Worldwide Pants, produced and financed the film. Ladies and gentlemen, Amy Sedaris. Hello. Hey, Hello. Tony. It's Amy Sedaris calling. <laughs> uh, how did you develop the character of Jerry Blank? Oh, many different ways. I married her with, uh, you know, uh, you know, Paul and Stephen and I write for Jerry Blank, so it's a combination of all three of us, and we use the background of um, several things. Uh, Paul Donella found an old documentary film on this woman who had a ex-prostitute junkie con artist background, and so I used a lot of that and married it with um, some things that I had read and research I had done, and, and then um, I just you know, told the uh, the wardrobe girl that I want just dress me like I own a snake, and then I told my hairstylist that I just wanted to have a professional golfer's hairstyle, and then I just the face just kind of fell into it. So she has kind of created all different ways. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I love the haircut. It's so great. Yeah, it's good. Off the neck. <laughs> so the yeah. The, so the, there's a lot of physical transformation. I guess I heard there's also like a, a bodysuit you wear as well. 
A fatty suit, yes, from the waist down. Yeah, oh, it's so awesome. Uh, when did you start working with uh, Stephen and Paul? 20 years ago. We met at Second City. Uh-huh. We all got hired the same day, um, even Principal Blackman, who's in the movie. Um, we all got hired on the same day at Second City. Uh-huh. And uh, did you take instant liking to each other, or... Uh... Pretty much. I mean, you know, we didn't... Paul and Paul and I were already friends, and then... It took us a while to get Stephen on our side because he came from more of a traditional training, you know, theater training. So, you know, it took us a while to break him. But when we got him on our side, uh, we just have continued to work together ever since. Oh, also, um, is the Jerry Blank character, did you said it developed between the three of you. Um, was there anyone you grew as you grew up where you kind of took some mannerisms from her? Uh, growing up? Um, no. manner- no, not really. I just okay. kind of... No, not really. Okay. Darn. No, okay. <laughs> um, and then how did you end up hooking up with uh, Worldwide Pants? To uh, I just saw them. They asked me to be on their show. Uh, I think this was back in 2000. And uh, and I don't know how they got a copy of the script. I, I've never asked, and I, I have no idea how they got it. And they just said they really liked it and that they wanted to do the movie. That's awesome. Yeah, this is really nice. And they're fantastic to work with, and we got a lot of freedom. Yeah, yeah, we had fun to freedom. Oh, good, good. Did uh, when you were shooting, did you stick close to the script, or were you able to improvise? We didn't. We improvised more on the TV show because um, film's so expensive. We couldn't really afford to do it with the film, and because of the time. Uh-huh. But there were moments, there were pockets in the film where we got to improvise, um, and we, you know, we always come up with stuff on the moment. But we did have a script, so yeah. but there's some improvising going on. Oh, so on the television show, was that shot um, with like digital? Instead. Yeah. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. Um, that was just personal information for me. Actually. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, what was what was your, your biggest challenge going from uh, television to film? And uh, oh, going from twenty two minutes to ninety minutes, and thinking of a bigger arch, and then having to worry about how we're going to introduce everybody. Uh-huh. You know, you got to spend half the film introducing the whole the whole you know who this person is because it's you know it's a movie now. So, I think that was the hardest part. Right. Right. Oh, uh, I, you know, you do your uh, huge physical transformation. Are you recognized? Uh, do people recognize you in public, or is it just... Not usually. Jerry Blank's more of a disguise kid, and uh, I like to play dis- people with disguise kits. So with um, I get recognized more for uh, doing Letterman, and, like when I did Sex in the City. Uh-huh. What, what are you working on now? Are, do you have another... Uh... I'm working on a cookbook that comes out in October. Yeah, I read about that. I, yeah. I like you. Yeah, I like you. Uh-huh. You want and, uh, and Paul Danella helped me write it, and uh, it's an entertaining book on entertaining. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> and and, and is, it's serious? or, is, or I took it seriously. I mean, it's practical. But there, there's humor in it. But I, I thought, you know, I didn't want it to be really silly because then I didn't think people would take it seriously. Uh-huh. And I take it seriously, so it's it's just entertaining. Yeah, yeah. I was I was uh, listening to you on Terry Gross. Um, I guess she taped it, but it was I think she broadcast it yesterday. Uh, yeah. Where you where you you uh, yeah I didn't know that you like sold cupcakes around town and. Uh huh. Yeah, I think that's, yeah, that's it was awful. bad bake at night. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. I like it. All through the night, or is it just... Uh... No, not all through the night, just <laughs> bake at night. You no, you're not like a, a meth addict that has to bake all night? Kind of no, thing. no, no. <laughs> so um, so, so what's, the, what's the average day in, in the life of Amy Sedaris? 
Well, right now it's just been I've been working on the book for two years, so it's it's, it's been kind of odd and doing all the press for the movie. So right now it's just like it's crazy. I, I I always try to find time to have some time by myself, but lately it's just been the movie and the book because my deadline is July eighth. So it's been a little crazy lately. But once it's all done, I just can't wait to redecorate my apartment, and then I'm going to go to France and visit my brother. Oh, cool, cool. How often do you see your brother? Maybe three times a year, twice, two, two or three times a year. Yeah. Amy Sedaris on Pirate Cat Radio, 87.9 FM, San Francisco, Los Angeles, PirateCatRadio.com, talking about her film Strangers with Candy out now in selected cities, including San Francisco, Los Angeles, and New York, and coming to a city near you throughout July and August. Anyway, you're listening to Drinks with Tony. Here's segment two of the Amy Sedaris interview, which is four minutes and 30 seconds long, and then we're going right into electric suicide destruction for the rest of the show. You're listening to Drinks with Tony and Pirate Cat Radio. So uh, who, are, who are some of your favorite novelists? Oh, gosh. I, um, I read all kinds of people. Uh, you know, I, I tend to like nonfiction more than fiction, although I love fiction. Uh-huh. I just uh, tend to read a lot more nonfiction. I mean, you know, short stories I love. Um, and, and also, I'm a big reader, and I haven't had a chance to read anything since I've been working on my own book. It's been driving me crazy. Oh, yeah. I can't wait just to get into that. I have to go to L.A. Monday, and all I thought was, oh, good, that's five hours there, and five hours back, I can bring a book. Uh-huh. You know? Right. I'm just going to, I'll be able to finish something. So it'll be fun just for that reason. It's one of those rare times where it actually is fun to fly. Yeah, just because I'll be alone on a plane. Nobody will be calling me. I won't oh. have, you know what I mean? It'll just be nice to be able just to have that time by myself. Yeah, totally. I have a huge fear of flying, so. My oh, name. yeah, a lot of people do. I just white knuckle it the whole time. <laughs> um, and uh, who's, like, who or what's been your inspiration for uh, that you, um, because over because uh, you you have your creativity is uh, amazing. So I mean, what what has inspired you over the years? Every uh, absolutely everything inspires me. To you know, walking by a field and I see little mushrooms that makes me laugh. You know, I, I, it's ridiculous what I get inspired by. You know, I'm a I'm a very visual person, and I I just everything I see I see an idea. You know, I mean that's my problem. Is I mean not a problem, but I'm more of an ideas person, and I'm sometimes I'm just content coming up with the idea, and I don't have to see it through. You know, but I just uh, I like thinking of new ideas, and I like thinking of new people to work with, and I like just doing it. You know what I mean? It just even if you know you don't have to wait and try to get a grant or try to get you know a, a deal somewhere. You know, I just if I see something and I'm inspired by it, I'm going to do something about it. You know. Uh huh. So I think that's why I'm constantly doing new things. Do you, do you have like an idea book that's just so full that a lot of them don't come? I do. Through? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Then I'll flip through it once in a while. I'm like, God, what was I thinking? <laughs> oh, that's my old dealer. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I would love to see that published. Your note, your notebook. Ooh, it yeah. looks like a schizophrenic wrote it. Really? Only I can read it. It's so awful, so uh-huh. messy. And I'm like, what is that word? Because I write so fast and. Uh huh. Can't read any of it. Yeah. Um, are you affected by uh, negative reviews of your work? No, I'm pretty lucky that way. I've always had a healthy attitude. I think because my dad, I grew up with my dad yelling, "What does that matter? What other people think?" So, uh-huh. and also with this, especially because it's with Paul and Stephen and Think Films and Letterman. I mean, it's okay if it gets a bad review. I mean, I not everyone's going to like this movie, and that's the same thing with a TV series. 
Uh-huh. I mean, Jerry Blink isn't for everybody. Miscast, mis, you know, misfits and outcasts aren't for everybody. So um, I have a really healthy attitude about that kind of stuff. I always have. Yeah, that's great. I always, yeah. I always think if, if uh, someone's not hating you, you're doing something wrong. Yeah. That's kind of yeah, right. Yeah. Um, that's good. Oh, so let me ask you, because I'm uh, about... What you know, appearing on Fresh Air and Terry Gross. What was that? What was that experience like? Did you actually go to Philadelphia or? No, I sat here. I, I in a studio here. But I felt I kept apologizing to Terry because I love her show and I loved her book and uh, I I was so excited about talking to her. But I had a I I, I was uh, by the time I sat down in that chair, I was really tired and I was really um, in a bad mood and I. And I wasn't in the moment. My mind was all over the place. I don't know what was wrong. Maybe I just built myself up too much. And I kept apologizing to her because I just felt like, oh, darn, you know, I, I'm i sorry, Terry. I'm just not here today. You uh-huh. know, like, oh, no, 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 it's fine, it's fine. But I was just like, uh, I just didn't feel like um, I wasn't on. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, yeah. Kind of like how I feel now. <laughs> well, you know, everyone has that day, and I was like, God, I can't believe I'm having this day with Terry Gross. It sucked. Oh, but yeah. I still enjoy talking to her. But I, I don't know if I want to listen to it just because I just I just know I, my mind was somewhere else. Yeah. So it probably sounded bad. <laughs> Thank you so much, Amy. I really okay, thanks so much. Bye. Okay, you're listening to Drinks with Tony and Pirate Cat Radio. We are ready to... Uh, To hurt your eardrums. Suicidal electronic destruction. That's the theme of this show. Oh yeah, and we're going to start with revolting clocks. You're listening to Pirate Cat Radio and Drinks with Tony. The revolting clocks will light the sound cue. 